If you've ever wondered what it would be like to buy a piece of land, reconnect with nature, understand permaculture, and navigate living in community, this week's guest on the Call to Courage podcast is living that reality right now. Welcome to the podcast for men who are ready to lead their most expansive and courageous lives. Thank you for joining us on this adventure where we'll be questioning old paradigms and architecting new ways to live, laugh, and love. I'm Gareth Pickery. And I'm Matt Dazi. We believe that your story could contain the key that unlocks someone else's healing. So we connect with humans from all walks of life as they share their journeys from chaos to courage. So if you're ready to experience the ease and flow that come from living an expansive and well-crafted life, you're in the right place. This is the Call to Courage podcast. My guest today is Matt Richards. Matt's a visionary, a pioneer, and a leader who's dedicated to building a space where souls can fast track their evolution by repairing the connection to their higher selves, to one another, and to nature. He was previously the president and COO at MakerDAO in the crypto space and is currently the CEO and founder of TerraMore, which is building a living research center and community in Nasara, Costa Rica. Our conversation covers fatherhood, schizophrenia, money, social and economic credits, blockchain, permaculture, building and living in communities and how to build governance structures so that we can live together. This conversation took place at Matt's home in Costa Rica and there were a couple of bugs and one or two airplanes and a pretty good video version of this creation which I will link up in the show notes. Enjoy today's conversation. Before we jump in, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by The King's Circle. In our hyper-connected world, many men report feeling more and more disconnected and out of touch with their authentic selves, pretending to be someone they're not, holding their truth instead of speaking it. The thing about not being authentically you is that it holds you back from achieving your full potential. The King's Circle is a live online gathering for men to speak their truth and reconnect with their authentic selves. Authenticity means completely accepting yourself so that you can speak your needs, hold your boundaries, and show up confidently in all situations. This path to self-acceptance isn't easy, but when you decide to walk it, the King's Circle will give you all the systems, self-inquiry, and support that you need to connect to your mission and lead your most courageous life. So if you're ready to show up as the authentic and integrated father, son, or brother that you know that you came here to be, make sure that you're part of the next King's Circle. These circles take place live every other Thursday and you can secure your seat by going to fatherssonsbrothers.com forward slash circle. I will also put a link in the show notes. Welcome to the Call to Courage podcast. I'm Gareth Pickering and my guest today is Matt Richards. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me. So to get our audience up to speed and to get to know you a little bit, share your origin story through the lens of being a father, a son, and a brother. Okay. Um, yeah, let's get into it. Okay. So, um, my childhood was pretty, pretty challenging actually. Um, you know, my, my brother and I had like a fairly good relationship. 
growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but when we got to be about college age, um, something shifted in him and I didn't really know what it was. Um, and he ended up, uh, developing schizophrenia. And then I knew later also that my mom was schizophrenic. I found that out when I was like 30 or something, which made a lot of things click, um, about like my life in general. Um, which she has a very mild case. My brother has a rather strong Mm -hmm. case. Um, so, you know, as a son in that constellation and as a brother in that constellation growing up, there was a, a sense of, yeah, sure. Like definitely like lack of, of safety, I guess you could say in that, like I grew up, you know, just with my dad, my brother and I really, um, but also just not understanding why things were the way that they were mm-hmm. and really um, deciding that I was going to figure this out so that I could be safe, you know, somehow different from the world that you'd grown yeah. up. Yeah. You know, which was like, you know, obviously not safe, you know? Um, and yeah. And so with trauma, you know, there's always like that golden side of it, you know? So because of that, like needing to figure everything out, it's really helped me in many different ways, um, as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'd like to think also as a father now, um, cause I was really like, okay, like I don't, I don't, I didn't have the best imprint actually, you know? So like, how do I, how do I do this? How do I actually like show up as the father that I wanted to be for myself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that was, yeah, that was, I mean, on an intellectual level, it was like, okay, sure. And then like the embodiment of that being a, <laughs> a father, mm-hmm. uh, has been easily the greatest challenge, but also gift of, of my life for sure. You know, where, um, you know, like I have just all of this conditioning and like ways of being that I, that I, that I have inside of me that I do not want to express. So what do I do with those patterns and conditioning, like when they arise, you know? And so most of the time I'm just with it and I'm able to still show up in love. Sometimes I fail though. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, that was from when I was seven or something like that, you know, in retrospect of Mm -hmm. like, you know, like where I, I'll I'll fail to be the father that I want to be, you know, like where I can't show up in love always, you know? So, um, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot to say Mm. there. Um, that, that I think I kind of touched into some of the, the main topics there, but if there's anything of particular interest happened, mm. happy to go into something deeper there. So what you mentioned the golden thread or the golden shadow, the side of, of trauma that, mm-hmm. that comes up. Yeah. 
what could you pinpoint as some of those uh what's some of the gold that you've experienced having been through that well um i mean it's it's been just a an experience of i think seeing the world and moving in the world in a different way than other people do you know where i um like to me some things seem rather obvious you know where because i've just spent a lot of time thinking about the nature of economics and the environment and politics and you know just a number of different things and like how things fit together mm -hmm. in the wider sense mm -hmm. you know um and so when things happen um it's not it's not often surprising for me okay in in the wider sense okay. um so uh, and i don't want to say like i see the future or anything like that but like i think about it a lot or i have historically thought about it a lot mm -hmm. you know and it's um it's this frame it's this perspective of okay safety equals understanding you know that's really like allowed me to just move with yeah a certain degree of embodied understanding which just informs everything else Does that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah including like my you know the the way that i run my business my you know finances my um yeah how how i move in life so safety equals understanding yeah i think that's the deep deep message yeah like yeah that i got when i was five is there a sense in that statement that you didn't understand what was happening in your world that felt unsafe exactly yeah that's the flip side of it thank you mm. yeah well yeah it was really just like i don't understand what is going on like this just does not make any sense at all you know like it just didn't did not compute based on a number of different factors you know because of mental mental illness essentially so i was like okay how do i find safety i have to i have to understand the world and all of its complexity and really embrace that step into that complexity and be like okay i can be with this in order to be safe mm. so where have you seen that in your life subsequently what are some of the things that you've been able to understand in a way that other people haven't that have supported you like if you give an example of stuff in the past that's well sure i mean mostly my you know my um my professional life i would say very much so okay probably not so much my personal life <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. i'm still learning a lot of my personal life mm -hmm. um but yeah my you know my business life i would say that was pretty present so um you know from i think basically as soon as i got out of college i was like okay i'm gonna figure this thing out and i'm gonna figure out how to make my way in such a way that i will be successful you know and i put really everything else aside and just devoted like 80 percent or 90 percent actually of just like my cognitive energetic expression to being a success you know and so that went from like cold calling at the very beginning when i had just no skills at all working my way up through the corporate world um through many different things on like the business side of technology essentially uh in the silicon valley area 
Um, yeah, and then seeing um, blockchain fairly early, okay. um, and then getting involved on that level and understanding really the the benefits at the heart of that technology, and focusing really on the benefits to humanity, and just because of that, everything else sort of just was easy, you know. Um, or much, much easier, I would say. Yeah. How do you show up as a successful son for your family at the moment? Uh, um, okay, yeah, so... This has been a journey, you know, it's been a real journey of like learning to be okay with the past, you know, to be, to accept my childhood, you know, and how I was, how I was raised, you know, how I was treated, um, and to show up in, in love as a son, um, anyway, you know, so, um, as I mentioned, my mom has, a mental illness, mm -hmm. you know, and she's just struggled to get by, you know, um, for her whole life, basically. So, yeah, um, I just, you know, even though there's not a deep desire to be in, in deeper contact with her and to have her be like in and of my life, mm -hmm. there is a desire to ensure that she doesn't suffer you know? And so, yeah, I support her financially and, um, I'm there in case anything goes wrong, mm. you know? Um, which lately there's been some interesting challenges with her and my, my half sister actually, who was raised by her. Okay. So they're still together, living together her and your half -sister. at the moment, not directly, but in close proximity. Yeah. How's your relationship with your brother? Yeah, it you know, my brother exists on another plane of reality. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'll have a I'll attempt to have a conversation with him, mm -hmm. but he's 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 here, you know. And so well it'll appear at least that we'll we'll be having a conversation. But then anything that I, I say, I feel like is filtered through nine, 12, 15 different voices in his head. And so he's just following all those things. And I'm just a single piece of stimulus mm -hmm. that doesn't quite actually land when we're in, in connection. Mm -hmm. So challenging, mm -hmm. you know, again, I still make an attempt to be in his life, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's a challenge. How many filters do you think we that don't have schizophrenia have that pass judgment on all the commentary <laughs> of our lives? <laughs> Fair question. <laughs> oh, he's only got 12 or 15, huh? <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> yeah. Like what's uh, maybe a better question is like, what is the, I don't know. I don't know anybody with schizophrenia. 
are they're they're taking each of those and applying them directly where we have a a sense of being able to rationalize some of those voices away and choosing one or how do you yeah. describe it? <clears throat> I I mean I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I don't have schizophrenia. Yeah, yeah. You know, thankfully, but um, my guess is anyway that there are a number of different like actual voices that he doesn't have the power to choose what he's listening to mm-hmm. and what what is guiding him actually. So he's very much driven by you know, what we would say is like the unconscious is rather conscious mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. You know, and there is a very difficult to, I'm guessing to distinguish between those things. Wow. Yeah. And he has it because it's potentially hereditary or is it just coincidental that, that he has it and your mom has it? Ooh, yes, it's, it, it, it is hereditary. Okay. Um, and they got it. My grandma had it, you know, one of my uncles has it all on the mo- my mom's side. Okay. You know, um, yeah. And just fate that you didn't. Yep. Okay. Hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I guess we never talked about that before. We didn't. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. What's been the biggest joy of being a father? Hmm. Well, it's hard to pin it down um, to one thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if I had if I had to say just one thing is just that it it just cracks us open, you know. It just opens us in a way that nothing else can, you know. Um, through the challenges, but also through the just, you know, experiencing like creating and being with and guiding this being through their journey. It's it's just, it's like nothing else, you know? And so to, it just hits a, a rather deep chord inside of ourselves where we, yeah, I think we just otherwise don't have, have access to, I didn't, you know, um, so it's, it feels almost like a compartment of the heart, you know, mm-hmm. that is just like now available, you know, that kind of maybe wasn't before mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had to make peace with perhaps not being able to access that part of my heart in mm-hmm. the choice that, that I've made not to become a father. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's always such an interesting question for me to, to get a sense of, Yeah, there's there's the death of the single single guy when you choose to become a father mm-hmm. and you become a parent and go on that journey for all of its blessings and challenges. And the opposite's true when I chose to not become a parent. And so I've had to let go of the future memories as well as projections of what it would be to be a parent of my, of my own. So yeah, it's always in such an interesting question for mm. me to, to feel into and, and recognize yeah, what the challenges of that of that journey are and also the gifts that that i don't have access to i mean there don't get me wrong there are challenges i have no doubt that's why i chose not to (laughs) i mean it's it's real you know like in french they say the petite mort with orgasm you know like the little death but like having kids is also like a little death Mm -hmm. you know it's like a like a little part of your heart opens Mm -hmm. but also a part of yourself like you're like 
it's just me and I'm just worrying about myself and like I can do like your freedom, that freedom body, it dies or at least takes a long ass nap, mm -hmm. you know? So I've got another 12 years in that nap, you know, where it's yeah. like, it's just like my priorities are just shifted, you know, mm -hmm. like I can't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, I can't just get on a boat, you know, and, and sail around the Pacific if I, if I want to, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm here, like I'm doing this, I'm committed, you know, there is a certain, um, you know, beauty in that rootedness, but also certainly like, you know, a, a sadness that comes along with that. Yeah, it is, a, it is a sacrifice. It's a letting go of... Um, airplanes flying over. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes being in those airplanes. You know? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, you know, it's like just figuring out schools and hiring babysit babysitters and, you know, like just all the things that come along with, you know you know, changing diapers and, you know, there's just a lot, you know, it's a new, it's choosing a new life and letting go of the one that was. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of like a death in a way. What would you say are some of the, the characteristics that you want to embody for your boys that you didn't see in growing up, like in your, in your parents, like what are some of the attributes that you think it, are required to be a good father. Well, that's a very good question. Um, I think the biggest one that was lacking for me, um, that I really have struggled the most to embody and really revolved a lot of my life and practice and all kinds of yeah, my general orientation has just really been about presence, actually, you know, just to be there, to just play, to just be interested, you know, to like have a desire to engage on whatever level they're at rather than just be like, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it and you guys can tag along and do whatever you're going to do, you know, which is like my natural orientation, you know, mm -hmm. but to, to be like, no, like I'm going to, I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up in the way that I wasn't showed up for, you know, um, it was, it, you know, it was a hell of a challenge for a number of years, you know, and it was, there was this inner sort of like, uh, uh I'm failing at this. I'm not doing the job actually that I, that I wanted to do for my kids when I set out to be a father. Um, it's easier now that my kids are a little bit older, you know, it's, it's so, my kids are six and eight, by the mm -hmm. way. Um, it, it is, it is easier now to find much more common ground to like take them on, you know, adventures and, you know, like they can just be much more in and of things that are exciting for me, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that it's just that flow, that joy that it's, it's, it's much more easier, it, much easier to find, you know? Um, yeah. So 
but you know, there's been a lot of times in my life where I've, I've kind of just been of the fake it till you make it philosophy, you know, where I was just like, <laughs> I'm not good at this. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to do it anyway, you mm-hmm. know, and see how it goes, you know, and just try and make this thing work. And certainly like the early years, um, where my kids with, with my kids kind of felt like that, you know, where I was just like constantly uncomfortable, but like, okay, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to be there, you know? Yeah. feels vulnerable to admit that, but, but yeah. I think that's true for most parents. It's like that. It's probably one of the biggest responsibilities that you, that you're given is to raise another being. Mm with no map of exactly what constitutes good or bad parenting, just some social ideas and yeah, a sense that you've got to go out there and figure it out day after day and, and learn from the lessons. And it's got to be the most powerful surrender journey because you just have to continually let go and realize you're going to fuck up continually and yeah, be okay with that and, and let them know that you fucked up and yeah, Mm-hmm. be authentic in that space as well because I think there's something about modeling that authenticity mm. that uh, is I guess what you would want for them to show up with mm-hmm. you know so yeah again I can only imagine but I yeah we have fur babies one dog and two cats <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> when one of them is sick I'm like thank god it's not a real child I, I don't know you've got to continually just let go and you must be such a growth path to to continually be in that space of just letting go and trusting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, also wrestling with fear, you know, that's been a big part of my journey of just like working with fear in a number of ways. And as it relates to, you know, just all the things that could go wrong, you know, with having a kid, it's, um, there's a there's a big part of surrender in that as well, you know, for sure. What does that fear sound like? Um, I mean, it, it's been it's taken different forms at different times in their journey, you know, in, in our journey together, you know. So at the beginning, it was like, you know, is one of my kids going to be born with, and still is actually like, well, is one of my kids going to be? Is gonna have are they gonna have a mental illness mm-hmm. even though I didn't right you know um, but yeah that stopped me for a number of years from becoming a dad yeah okay yeah um, yeah but I mean it's just it's it's from those bigger wider like I don't know things I mean we never know but um, to the the everyday of like do I trust this babysitter to drive with them in the car with mm-hmm. them, you know, just things like that, mm-hmm. you know, is it, yeah, there's a lot, you know, that we just have to be like, okay, you know, trying to balance all the things, you know, and sometimes we have to just surrender and trust. Yeah. Outside of fatherhood, where else do you feel fear? Mm. I think mostly now with my with my project mm-hmm. probably 
Yeah. Um, it feels really very often like being in, in the mystery with it, you know, there's a deep knowing of like, this is, this is right. And also like sort of unavoidable actually, Mm -hmm. but the logistics and like tactical and strategic implementation of like what that actually looks like from, you know, year zero to year 15, there's a lot of unknown there, you know, and there's a lot of ways to fuck this up, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I have already, you know, plenty of ways, Uh you know, I've had really big wins and joys and celebrations and things, but, you know, but bit off a lot and, um, feels like way more than I can chew. And yeah, so definitely fear of failure, fear Uh of, um, yeah, unfortunately like doing it wrong. Okay. You know, um, There used to be a fear of like having it be a waste of time. That's not that much there anymore. It feels like, yeah, again, with the deep knowing piece, it feels fairly obvious. Um, Meaning you're not going to be wasting time. You're going to learn you've managed to find that. Where's that fear gone to? It's reframed into, I'm doing this. It's, it's not a waste of time in that yeah, no matter exactly. what happens, it's my purpose work or something. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It's, I, I know that this is what it is that I'm supposed to be doing, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still, yeah, just challenging on, on all, all the ways. Maybe even more so because there is that knowing. You know, I can't run away, you know, like I wanted to, you know, many times in, in other endeavors and, and did sometimes, you know, so... So I want to get I want to get to your project, but before we get there, I want to ask you. So, this sense of safety that you get from understanding. You go out into the world with a sense of really wanting things to be different and to be successful, and you said you had no skills, but you started at the bottom. So, what does that look like in reality? I know you said you did cold calling. Is it what what led you to be successful? As a function of your task to set out to be successful, what can you po- point to that? supported your success along the way? I mean, definitely fear, you know, fear of like, yeah, failing, not making it, not, not achieving what I wanted to achieve in this life. Um, unfortunately, I can be really honest and say that that's, that, that was very much a driving factor for me. So that sounds like, transition from this life and I haven't done the things that I wanted to do. Yeah. But also just, you know, especially like in my twenties of like, am I going to die level? Like fear of like, I I literally won't be able to like provide for myself, you know? So wrestling with that actually, like part of my journey was like living in India for a few months and just living on less than a dollar a day when I was working in a reforestation project there. And, um, you know, just, seeing what it was, you know, to play with my own happiness levels, my, my comfort, my, my contentedness, even when I was living in a rather dirt poor way, I wasn't dirt poor, 
but I was living as if I was for an extended period of time because I, I had such a deep fear actually that I just wanted to to be with that fear actually mm-hmm. and to also just to see to to reassure myself that in, in retrospect I was reassuring myself that you know happiness is rather orthogonal from financial prosperity prosperity is nice it makes things a lot uh like it greases the wheels for sure Mm -hmm. you know but in the end it's not what moves the needle you know it's the deeper things that move the needle you know so where um, do we get that story from where how, how do we all have that I feel it the same. It's like some sense that without money we are going to be dead. Like there's some there's some deeply rooted fear in us that that seems that what you're talking to, I've experienced the same thing, and I'm wondering what you know. A few hundred years ago, we didn't have money. Well, I would say it was a bit longer than a few hundred years ago, but you know, we, we, yeah, I mean, we're using like debt and things like that before that. Um, but yeah, a few thousand or a few million, you know, instead of money, it was, you know, emotional, social credit, you know, it was cultural credit, tribal credit. Mm-hmm. It's always been credit in one form or another, essentially. You know, and we could cash in on those things when it was necessary. Right. Um, and and so I think there's a logic to having that being part of our, you know, biological evolutionary impulse, right? Um, so I, in a way, I think it's it's part of it's just part of the human experience. But how we grapple with it, how we play with that fear of scarcity which like for me anyway was literally like a fear of just death um it's up to us you know i had my journey i'm still having my journey with it you know um and yeah does that answer your question yeah, yeah. Uh, it's brought up another one do you think we've switched out our social and emotional credit for money 100 percent. yeah yeah well Yes, yes to that. And certainly there are layers at certain, yeah, in, in the different constellations that we, we find ourselves in which the, 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 the same things, the social, emotional, cultural credit, we do cash in on those things. You know, like often, I mean, with my career, for example, it wasn't like often what I did, it was who I knew. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in those bigger pieces, that's when those things are really, really, really important. But of course, just, you know, I want to buy a coffee, like I just need money to do that, right? You know, but there's, there are currents, there is a flow underneath this quantitative economy, which is a qualitative economy, which is actually, you know, most of the time driving the larger shifts that we see in the world and in society. Mm Mm-hmm. Until you get to, you know, enormous quantitative values and then things shift a bit, but yeah. Things shift in what meaning? Well, I mean, when you have like a, like a Bill Gates, you know, or an Elon Musk now yes. days, you know, or like a Rockefeller, you know, someone like that, right. whose quantitative, you know, uh, value is just so 
high mm-hmm. that they shift continents at and now the world at their whim uh-huh. you know if they make it a personal crusade to you know stamp out malaria and take a particular like um ethical uh decision on how it is that they want to do that they're implementing their will and the will of and that affects the world mm-hmm. right whereas just like you know somebody decides they want to build a railroad through buffalo country that's going to affect a continent you know mm-hmm. so th- these things yeah there's a deeper system uh, to to just the quantitative but also yeah it, it things change they can get exponential when people when, when we're living in times like like we are right now i would say mm. yeah yeah specifically around the, the the wealth gap pointing to that in some ways like the ability to be able to make change because of having such access to resources in a world where some have so little yeah i mean i think the closest thing we've ever seen to it in history is something akin to like say a, a monarchy you know whereas you know kings and queens they had just absolute power but at least that was within like a specific geographic area for a specific amount of time you know now there are no definitions to geographic restraint right. and i think we're actually living in a time where um we're going to see less not more power from the nation state and more from economic a- actors actually so it's a very um yeah it's an interesting moment that we're living in right now yeah yeah share your journey into the blockchain space how did you become involved in that what was your i guess it was based on your wanting to understand and your ability to be able to see blockchain as a new technology like what did that path look like as you did your research and your decision to get involved in the space Yeah, you know, I think um after 2008, I really just wanted to understand what the hell was going on with the financial system and how this thing worked. You know, I just hadn't been a part of it. It just seemed to rather rather um yeah, unknown to me. And so I wanted to understand it better, and so I started looking into the nature of money the properties of money and ended up going to school around the same time for a um <clears throat> a masters in uh socioeconomic uh management and development actually in Denmark okay and wrote a paper on the properties of money and their effect on the environment mm-hmm. uh, that was 2010 okay and just this cute little weird project which was a footnote in my my paper was called bitcoin you know okay. and so i just um it wasn't that interesting for me at that moment i was much more interested in things like demurrage and um currencies that were more communal and that had you know the properties that mimic nature and yeah um but i kept my eye on it okay. you know and i saw what it what happened when it developed you know and i was that that idea was imprinted i think just fairly early um and then i fell down the rabbit hole okay you know and was really like oh okay this is what this technology can bring 
which is really um, sovereignty in a way that we haven't seen before. Um, it really unlocks, um, and I'm sure your viewers and listeners are well aware of the benefits of Keep going. Blockchain. I'd like you to share what it is because you've spent some time in this space. I'd, I'd be open to you. Yeah, the sovereignty piece? Yeah, so sovereignty um, and and real you know freedom as it relates to to value exchange and uh transparency and economic uh, value creation these wider concepts have been monopolized by the the nation state and blockchain you know by solving the byzantine general's problem says actually that's not it's not necessary the monopoly is not necessary anymore and we can move to a decentralized world and um you know i think we're seeing yeah a revolution in slow motion you know it doesn't really make sense to people when they just see see things in the headlines and they're like why is this thing happening or why is the price going like that it's just it, it's it's very strange but what we're seeing is like one organism eating another, you know, and one ha is inherently, yeah, it just has properties that make the other obsolete. And that's going to have consequences for the nation state. Okay. So that leads you into the rabbit hole, as you say, with regards to blockchain technology, what do you do with that information? Where do you find yourself? What unfolds in your life as a function of doing that? Um, around that same time, I had uh, discovered, you know, when I was doing that degree, I also discovered permaculture and community. Okay. You know, and so I also I was also going through the journey of, you know, working with abundance and scarcity and value and all those different things, like in in my lived experience. So that's when I went to the reforestation project. That's when I, you know, went to Australia to do to be part of the. Um, PRI, you know, with Jeff Lawton and, um, that's the permaculture research Institute. Okay. And, uh, so spent a bit of time there, but in woofed in different places, that's willing workers on organic farms. Yeah. Um, it's basically volunteering in exchange for, uh, food and housing. Yeah. You know, so just really wanted to understand what it would be like to actually live in and of the land. And also when I could, I combined that with community uh, for the next few years basically and I just had a, a learning journey during that time and traveled the world spent a lot of time in in Europe and in Asia um, and yeah just felt into what it meant to build a what we were calling then sustainable, but now we would call regenerative world okay. from the bottom up rather than from the top down, which is what I was studying actually was sort of like top down management. And when I was studying, there was this conference called COP15 okay. and in, uh, in Denmark and, you know, Barack Obama was going to come. Greenpeace was there with their ship, you know, in the Harbor and like, it's like, yeah, you know, we're going to save the world now. This is the big one. You know, like we're going to deal with, with climate and just the air went out. It was just like, 
it just was a complete and utter, from my perspective then, it was a complete and utter failure where nothing got done. And it just felt like a bureaucratic uh, mess, you know, where I felt like my, like I was a cog in this larger machine and I felt powerless. And that's my least favorite feeling is feeling powerless. So I was like, forget that. I'm going to figure out how to do this from the bottom up. Actually, I'm going to be part of the change and I'm going to create that change myself and just live, make that my lived experience. And that's so that's when I went to go and, and study and, and meet all these different people and, you know, live in different projects around the world. So where do you see that crossover now? What is the, the bottom-up approach? What does that look like practically with regards to the marrying of regenerative projects and finance and technology? How do those, how do those fit together for you? So you'd like me to describe Tierra more for you? Is that, is that... Maybe that's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Talk about how you ended up in Costa Rica then and perhaps transition into your project now and how you see they, them coming together. Oh. Okay. So, um, yeah, as part of the, that journey towards the tail end, um, I visited a project called Pachamama, um, which is a rather large community here in the Nosara area of Costa Rica and fell in love with it. And that was about five years ago. Um, and yeah, from there, the, the journey with this part of the world started um yeah you asked about how i got here but what was the Mm. and then what's the what's the next phase from there you've got all this learned experience and things that you want to use to regenerate you fall in love with a piece of land well um maker dow happened in between that okay you know um where i was kind of in the okay i'm just gonna go to another place and i'm going to just live with them, you know, in the way that they're doing it and be happy doing that. Who's them? Uh, another community. Okay. You know, and that was part of the Pachamama journey as well. Okay. You know, and, um, yeah, of course I didn't end up staying at any of those projects. But, okay. Um, yeah. So give us the, the ethos of what you're wanting to build with the project that you now find yourself in like specifically i'm interested in the the regenerative part the community aspects what is what is the vision for the project and what does it look like in practice so like what is the actual project look like for those that won't have seen it sure so uh tier more is founded on three principles uh one is ascension, one is descension, and the other is regeneration. So with ascension and descension, we're essentially within the wider frame of the classic definition of Tantra in that the way to wake up is actually being in and of and all of experience, to actually be in form and not necessarily just only focus on ascension and moving past it you know so when we're descending we're dancing you know we're connecting you know we're being we're 
we're just in and of all of this experience. We're being with all the things that happen with us and we're also identifying with those, we're watching them, but we're in and of all of the beauty that is here in this physical reality, yeah. When we're ascending, we're just letting that go, essentially. So most people do that through meditation or, or yoga. Well, there's other things you can do like dance and or forms of dance anyway. Um, but yeah, mostly it's meditation, different forms there. And, and particularly inspiring for me are um, um, Tibetan Buddhist meditations. Okay. So that's going to be a lot of focus at Tierra Moore. Um, yeah. And we're, you know, so the idea is to, is to not do either one of those things, but rather to do both of them and to, to be in and of those things, but to also hold them lightly, you know? And so um, this, I'm speaking to two parts of the, and I'll, the third pole regeneration is taking those personal, social, and cultural developmental aspects that we that we're, we're gathering in the, in this incarnation within both of those, the ascension and descension. And then we're rooting that into the physical manifestation of the world that we want to see. So that's natural building, permaculture, agroforestry, uh, forest gardening, you know, that's, uh, reducing the separation between ourselves and, and nature in that pole in dissension, we're re removing the, reducing the, the separation between myself and other. And with ascension, we're reducing the separation between the capital S self and the lowercase s self. So, um, yeah, in, in, in its essence, Tiramore is, is about connection. And in practice, what does the project currently look like and what's the, what's the vision for it? Like what is, it's a piece of land. It's a piece of land. Yeah. Yeah. So at the moment it's about 500 acres, uh, here near Nosara. Yeah. And, uh, we're in what we're calling phase zero, which consists of about 35, um, spaces for people to come and be in retreats. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, you know, just all the things that go along with that, like a community area and co-working and dining hall. Um, but in addition to that, um, we've got a, an annual garden that we just planted out this year. Um, last year we planted out the agroforestry systems. So they're starting to get, um, pumping here and yeah. So we're starting to, to work with the land. Also later this year, we'll be doing some silvopastry systems and cranking out, I think, uh, 400 trees a month right now that are going to be used towards the reforestation of the 500 acres. Mm -hmm. So, um, we've already reforested, I would say probably 20, 25 acres. So, so good. Yeah. Cause it was previously and still is to a large part, um, pasture land. Okay. You know, so we're not with this acreage, just like pulling out trees and, you know, building something there. Everything that we're doing is on top of degraded, quickly eroding, unfortunately, pasture land. Okay. That we're shaping into something else. Yeah. And when you feel into that 15 year plan, like what is, what does this look like when it's done? Yeah. Um, well, at its, at its core, what it, you know, I, I think 
what I want people to feel like when they're there is it's a place with three different hearts with three different places where people can come and experience what it is to be in and of those different poles. Okay. Um, and then also feel them united in practical experience, you know, and often in, you know, in, in incarnation, in my experience, anyway, what I've seen and what I've also felt is that like we resonate with one particular pole more than another. And so people will come because they're just interested in meditation or they'll, they'll come because they just are interested in natural building or they'll come because they just are interested in like doing an ISTA or something like that. Uh And then simply by being in and of the field of others that are really focused on one of those things, as I did, they'll get the experience to feel into the different vibration of each one of those other poles and see like, Oh, actually that's really interesting as well. What would it be to embody more of that into my life? You know? So maybe that just means, you know, planting bananas in your backyard, or maybe it means volunteering with the agroforestry team. or Maybe that means taking on a meditation practice or whatever it means, you know, to you. But that's the energetic feeling that I'm hoping people are going to be feeling in 15 years. And that'll be more of like a cultural acupuncture point where people will, will be embodying all of those qualities from here. Um, yeah. And practically what that looks like is anywhere from 400 to 700 people, um, more acreage, probably up to like seven, seven or 800, um, uh, acres. Okay. Um, a massive, uh, dissension temple that has capacity for upwards of 300 people and it's going to be gorgeous. Um, and will serve as sort of like an anchor okay. uh, for this place. Um, a lot more exciting things that I, I can go into detail on, but, um, There'll be people living there permanently as well as a a space for people to come in and be on retreat for a while, learn natural building and then leave after a couple of months. How do you see that? Yes. Thanks. So, um, there will be, you know, a contingent that will be just rooted here. You know, the people that are either working on the project or that have decided to actually be owners and, and part of the community that way. And they'll live in what we're calling pods. Okay. We're consisting up to 12 people, um, that have have some shared infrastructure like a pool and hangout area and stuff like that, but also then their own houses that are that surround that area. Okay. Um, yeah, and then also having uh, mid to long term options for folks that are not ready to purchase but want to stay anywhere from two weeks up to two years okay. um, at Uh more like a rental kind of kind of an option. Um, and then, yeah, also just short-term retreat space for people who are coming in specifically for the offerings that are happening here. So good. So when you're building this huge dream, what is a, what does a good day look like for you? Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, a good day looks like, I mean, a lot of things would to find a good day um first of all (laughs) there's no fire to put out like literally and figuratively um 
yeah, there's, it's, it's flowing. Like things are feeling good, you know, like I'm, mm, yeah, there's the, the meetings that I'm having, cause I'm always having meetings are, um, bringing me joy, you know, um, cause sometimes they're not, mm-hmm. you know, it's just part of building something large as it just requires a lot, you know, holding a lot of different balls that sometimes get dropped, you know? So, um, yeah, on a good day, those balls are not dropping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you tackle this very large project, what are you recognizing in yourself as an edge that you are wanting to work on or is being reflected back to you as something you want to develop in yourself? So much, man. Yeah, so much. Um, You know, with standard companies, there's a sort of like linear fashion to how things operate and there's a an understood way of how things will flow but with bigger projects like this and in particular when working with community and people who have their um yeah that not not just their livelihoods but also their dreams tied up in a project like this it's as you might imagine much more complicated and uh it's much more um yeah, it, it, it requires a new level of surrender into the mystery and into humility that I've never experienced before, where, you know, I really don't know, you know, sometimes what is, is, is the right answer, you know, and, or when I should be doing something or if I should be doing something and, um, Whereas I felt a lot more, maybe it was ignorant, but I felt a lot more sure of myself in many of my more traditional corporate environments. And now, yeah, you know, when you're playing with things like governance and um, yeah, just people's lives, maybe it's the level of, of care and attention that I feel is necessary to do it justice in the way that I want to see, um, it's, it just requires a, a new level of commitment and, and surrender, um, from me. Yeah. I could drill into a number of different areas here. I'm being a bit vague, but I think thematically that's the, yeah, that's the journey. I'm practically, uh, yeah. What are, what are some of the areas you could use to help? help with at the moment like where do you see if you were to drill into some of those challenges mm, well yeah I mean I brought up governance you know uh, it's not it's just not easy um, but nobody's solved the problem you know even you know in in the blockchain world we a lot of people would say that you know it's a it's a massive upgrade over existing governance systems and you know, I would mostly disagree with that assertment um, in that blockchain provides 
a beautiful way for distributed actors around the world to work with each other to get things done, in particular DAOs, you know, on blockchains. Um, in DAOs, to, as you describe them, is... Like decentralized yeah. autonomous organization, right. like Maker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it provides an opportunity for people to to make decisions in a distributed way, with in a game-theoretical way, without contact, without understanding, without that um, social, emotional capital I was talking about earlier. Right. Right. Um, but actually, in a community context, hopefully we're not using tools like that. You know, hopefully we are using our social and emotional um, context and capital in ways that are ensuring our own happiness and safety, but also the, you know, the happiness and the continued functioning of the community, you know. And so finding that right balance of empowerment of voices, but also holding the line in terms of like, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it is not easy, you know, especially as I'm trying to like incorporate more stakeholders and, and folks that I, I want to be in the project, you know, it's, it's a challenge, you know, also when they want to be in a, in a, in, in the project, you know, it's just like, sometimes we, we can't find, um, yeah, a clear way to make that happen. So it's um, it's a continued challenge. Where you've lived in communities in the past, how have they managed it? For example, you spent some time in Pachamama. How do you notice they're doing governance and where do you see it working and not working for them? Yeah, great question. Um, so with Pachamama, um, you know, they used to have a guru model, you know, where, you know, it was founded as an Osho community, but Tiohar really was at the heart of most of the decisions, if not all of the, the decisions that were made. And that was the collective agreement, you know, and actually really helped facilitate a lot of their growth because he was also the spiritual anchor to the community. Um, and frankly, a great leader in a number of different ways. Um, so having that, you know, that, that guiding light um, had, was really, really powerful for them. I know that they're in a moment of um, transition now, mm -hmm. you know, which is rather difficult, um, but also could be beautiful if they do it in, in a way where they end up in, you know, some sort of governance structure that resembles turquoise or, or teal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we're trying to create a organizational structure that resembles that from the bottom up, you know, from the beginning rather than put it on mm -hmm. a bit later. Um, I've also been in other communities that have been ruthlessly, um, horizontal, okay. you know, and they struggle mightily with, um, tyrannies of of the minority you know um where you know just because somebody happens to be maybe the most charismatic or even just the loudest mm -hmm. their their opinion trumps people who are actually like 
better qualified, you know, and they can lead to all kinds of different issues uh, in the, so yeah, working with the tyranny of the minority and the majority is one of the, the key problems that I'm working with right now in implementing governance. Hmm. You touched on some of the traditional leadership inside uh, Pachamama. You've led teams in the past. What do you, what attributes do you attribute to a, a solid leader? Mm. Uh, commitment, clarity, um, commitment specifically to to a vision, you know, a, a collective shared vision, like the in the the a ruthlessness in that to to uphold that and to stand in the face of projection and uh, you know to be like a a sail in the in the wind you know that's that like you're still there the wind's blowing in one direction or the other but like you're like you're just gonna hold it you know that's a that's a good leader mm -hmm. and i think Tio has done that for a lot of years mm -hmm. you know it's not been easy for him i think and does that mean that the opposite is the sort of the, some of the characteristics of poor leadership where do you see failed leadership what are some of the things in teams that you've worked in or leaders that you've been co-creating with? Mm, certainly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if somebody's not clear, you know, if they're not holding themselves accountable, they're not being transparent about their actions or motivations, um, it's not obvious that they have the best interests of the team or the community at heart you know, when they're making their, their decisions, that's, that's an unfortunate form of leadership, which is also fairly common. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Share a story of, uh, at any point in your life where life has knocked you down and, uh, you've hit a bottom and you've needed to get back up on your feet. And what were the, what are the circumstances around that? And what, facilitated your ability to get back up and i think the um yeah the evaporation of my marriage you know of my union with the mother of my kids you mm -hmm. know that was a pretty um difficult moment for me you know um it involved letting go of this tight holding to um, this idea that I would never let happen to me what happened to, or what happened to me, I'm not going to let that happen to my kids, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I let that happen to my kids and that specifically being the dissolution of the marriage, mm -hmm. you know, because the story was that, a lot of the issues that I faced in my life were because of that marriage falling apart um, when I was five. And yeah, my kids were almost the same age when that happened for mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. you know? So um, that was very, very difficult for me. Um, and yeah, really just the understanding 
through a number of different uh, vehicles that came to me, which showed me that it was just much more in the spirit of, of love and um, joy and service, actually, to be happy, you know, to, to be happy myself and also provide that happiness and that freedom for my now ex, you know, that was a really crucial understanding, um, which helped me navigate the water afterwards and actually led to a really beautiful opening and period, which, which led to this project, you know? So did that make sense from yeah, Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the, what supported you in that time? Like, obviously you're going through this dark patch, you're doing the very thing that you chose or made a conscious effort that you didn't want to do. And so when you're sitting with all of that, what is the tool that gets you through? How does it just grin and bear it? Or is there some practice that you have or any sort of experience or advice that you were given in that moment that's, that helped you find the peace that you now have around it? Or is it just a time factor? Uh, I think uh, I would attribute the number one thing would, would definitely have to be like my stubbornness. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, you know, which really, you know, there was an understanding. I'm saying that a bit tongue in cheek, but actually like just the commitment, the very, very stubborn commitment to actually be with and face whatever it was that was there for me to see, you know, that really helped me through it, you know, um, because, yeah, I think without that stubbornness, I, I would still be in, you know, resistance and rejection and resentment and other unfun R words as well, I'm sure, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so. Yeah. Mm, thank you. Yeah. So the last couple of years, you've been on a pretty strong sort of personal development path. Yeah. Share some of your adventures there. Um, yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's been almost 15 years where meditation's been a, a pretty strong ally for me. Mm -hmm. um, but really in the last six or seven started to accelerate once I found Dzogchen and Mahamudra. Okay. Uh, and those have really been, yeah, big anchors for me in letting go of all of the, you know, form okay. essentially to just be with all the things and, um, yeah, provide the space that's necessary in order to hold my little boy, like my inner little boy. Yeah. when it's necessary, you know, uh, and to not just be lost in form. Um, but also really dissension work, you know, like Ista and Haydn and um, relational work in general, you know, um, really seeing uh, and embracing my own darkness, being willing to be with that that 
those parts of myself that I was rejecting and saying like, this is not me. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually being like, okay, also this is me, you know, acknowledging that playing with that being with it has allowed me to, it just opened up so much power, you know, so much, um, energy that just wasn't tapped, you know, and that's only the last three or four years. Um, yeah. What does your meditation practice look like? Is it daily, couple hours, couple minutes? It's daily now uh, for the first time in my life. I used to use retreats really as kind of like a crutch where I'd go to retreats fairly often because I just couldn't maintain. But I think it's been about two and a half years now where I've had like a pretty strong daily practice. Um, And it, it varies, you know, everything from meta meditation sometimes to Zogchen, um, which was more like a, uh, open awareness kind of a meditation. Um, sometimes I'll also go back to Vipassana, you know, if I'm feeling like a little bit, like I need more embodiment, more sort of like informed, but also consciousness of that. Um, it just, it really, you know, if I feel like stuck here, uh, which happens, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll work more with meta. You know, if I'm feeling really attached to what's happening in, in, in my life and can't get any distance from that, then I'll work more so with, with Sog Chen. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. What's one of the books that's changed your life the most, like, or had the most impact on you? Um, yeah, great question. Um, uh, most people haven't heard of this book, actually. I mean, most people have heard of, that are probably watching this, have heard of this author. But uh, Charles Eisenstein wrote a book like 13, 14 years ago called Ascent of Humanity. And that was really pivotal for me, actually. Set me off on like a really, yeah, on that journey, frankly. Um, uh, and also just sacred economics also was very really powerful for me. Um but also integral spirituality, uh, Ken Wilber, you know, uh, when I realized, yeah, when I just understood spiral dynamics and that the power of that, uh, and the also, yeah, just that I could also integrate things rather than just make wrong, mm-hmm. you know, um, and understanding yeah, that in the context of cultures and how we relate to each other and, it just provided so much understanding and ease in my system, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, there, there's many, many books on meditation as well, you know, from Adyashanti um, or... Mm, yeah, Rob Berbea has a really beautiful one um, called Seeing That Freeze. Seeing That Freeze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, but just tons of meditation books, you know, that I've, I've read mm-hmm. have really been pivotal for me. Yeah. So the title and theme of this podcast has to do with courage and uh, specifically around the idea of speaking from the heart. What's something that you feel in your world at the moment that's on your heart that you want to express that 
Yeah. Would be a <laughs> courageous act. <laughs> but you said you weren't going to put me on the spot. <laughs> I'd wait till the end and then do it. <laughs> it could be framed as what's an edge for you. Like what's, mm. what's something that you're working on in yourself at the moment that requires that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, frankly, um, when you asked about one of those times, you know, that you've you've been in a difficult piece, but you've moved through it, it took me a minute, actually, because I'm actually right in the middle of one right now, mm-hmm. where I'm in a, a period of like, okay, what what is this, you know, like, and really in being in the in the mystery and all of its discomfort right now. Um, specifically around directionality in, in the short, medium term of the project, you know, okay. who to include, how, you know, when to do certain things. Um, yeah, it's really sort of shaking me to my core because I made a decision about a year ago that um, I was really going to focus on building, you know, and getting this project like physically just manifested at least phase zero. Yeah. And in order to do that, I had to sort of deprioritize a lot of, um, my relationships that didn't, that I didn't deem as necessarily productive, but were also some of my most meaningful and um, yeah, I'm just starting to feel sort of like the rippling out consequences of that decision right now and looking at like, okay, how do I rebuild that cultural anchor that I was sort of taking for granted, I think, you know, um, and I'm in the mystery. I don't have an answer to that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know physically how this thing is going to look, but culturally, I'm like, it's a mystery. In a minute, the nature of this project is that it's it's not just the physical manifestation of it. The fact that community is an integral part of it requires that piece, and so yeah, I mean, it, it's it's nothing without it, you know, mm-hmm. and so. Yeah. Learning to like find the Tao of like, what is, what is right relationship with each friend and each coworker and each community member, you know, and how do we nurture these relationships and, and structure our agreements with the clarity that feels good for everybody involved and is loving for all parts. It's like, fuck, it's really, yeah, it's very challenging. Well, bro, it's no small feat and I'm glad that you've taken on this project and and this work because I think from what I can see in the world at the moment, people living together in harmony with nature seems to be the way through. It seems to be, for many of us, I know this has been true on my journey, a part of me that was really disconnected from nature led me to a a level of anxiety and distress that I think is hard to articulate. Mm -hmm. 
that I can now find when I come back into a place where I'm surrounded with amazing people. I was at Pachamama last night for their gathering and yeah, to see people living in community and where I live in Guatemala as well, we have a, a loose but small community which feels, it feels amazing. And so, yeah, I just want to give you kudos for biting off more than you can chew. <laughs> I think that's saying of like everyday bites off you more than you can chew and then chew it. And uh, yeah, I see you doing that. And uh, mm. sometimes you, you um, feel like you've got your mouth full and you don't know where the fuck to turn. But um, <laughs> yeah. Do all this food? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, just kudos on your path and um, Thank you, bro. trusting that uh, the right resources and support will show up exactly when it's needed. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, thank you. So, how do people connect with you and uh, and Tara more? Like, what's uh, what's the best way for them to get connected to to your work? Well, we've got a um, a full events calendar for January and February. Awesome. Um, we will have an open day in January. We'll we will have. Uh, I don't know when this is going to get released, but go with it. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah. And then um, in March and April, we will have a community experience as well uh where we're incorporating each element like dissension ascension and regeneration into that community experience for at least six weeks maybe as long as 10 okay um so if people are interested uh, we will have an application to that project um online in, in the next week or so okay. probably um yeah and you know we're also building out the events calendar for late this year starting in december of 2023 um late next year i should say and then also the the you know the six months after that which will comprise the next season so mm -hmm. that'll be up in the next three months or so awesome yeah so i'll link up your tiramore project in the in the show notes of this so that uh, whenever anybody listens to this they'll get the latest up-to-datest cool details of what you're working on Great. Appreciate you, brother. And I just want to say thanks once again for, yeah, our journey of how we've managed to weave together mm. the few times we've connected over the past few years and mm. um, for hosting us here, for those that are watching the video version of this in your beautiful home in Costa Rica and for hosting myself and Araminta these last few weeks. It's been my pleasure. It's been magic. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Much love. Much love. Ciao. Ciao. Thanks for spending some time with us today. We hope that you enjoyed the show. If you want to hear what other listeners learned from this episode, connect to the Father's Sons Brothers Tribe. This is our online men's community that's uniting a global tribe of authentic leaders. You're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, and the FSB Tribe is your opportunity to hang with an inspiring group of men already living the change that we want to see in the world. If that sounds like a tribe you want to be part of, go to fatherssonsbrothers.com forward slash tribe to find out more. Till next time, ciao.